does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. A little bow-wow-wow, right? You know why this is applicable, right? Because Eddie Garrison loves candy. Unbelievable. Listen, I didn't say I hated candy. It's just like... Just joy and happiness. I didn't was it. seek out candy to want to eat That's it. the whole point of Halloween. I understand. I didn't seek out candy. Well, that's the whole point of the, of the holiday. I mean, at least, you know... Did you get tricked early on and so now you're point? scared of treats? Is that what happened? No. Okay. The only candy I would eat was would be... Reese's. That's it? <laughs> Reese's, yep. Peanut butter cups. Yes. Not Reese's. Hated Tootsie Rolls. Reese's. You hated Tootsie Rolls? You hated Tootsie Rolls. What about Dots? Yep, I like Dots. Uh, Juju, is it Juju, Juju Fruits or Juju Fruits? Juju what? Fruits, right? Never heard of them. Really? No. Junior Mints. Yes. These are the auxiliary small box ones that you get, and there's like four of them in there. Right. Like, what is this? Milk Duds. Milk Duds, another one, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Milk Duds, exactly. Uh, Tony East joins us now to talk about the Pacers last night losing to the Chicago Bulls in a game where I thought really from a wing defense standpoint, particularly in the third quarter, they kind of um, broke down a little bit. In addition to that, they just did not shoot the ball in terms of their outside shooters. But Tony, nonetheless, obviously reason to be pretty optimistic about the Pacers. We'll get to that. First off, best Halloween costume you had as a kid was what? Good Lord. Uh, Shrek, maybe? I had a pretty good year as uh, an ogre, which is uh, not something I should maybe admit. I've had an um, entire life like that. <laughs> one year I was Shrek, and I carried around a boombox and said I was Radio Shack. I thought that was pretty funny. That's as well. strong well there. That's strong, yep. <laughs> That's good. That's a pretty lazy one. But all you need is a Lakers jersey and some music, and there you go. It's a free costume for anybody. Yeah, but how did you open up the pillowcase with, with the boombox on your arm? <laughs> One arm and well, I, I didn't have a pillowcase. I had like a little like plastic pumpkin with a handle on the top. Have you ever seen those before? Well, yeah, but I mean, then you got to the age where it's like you yeah, realize you the, volume, yes, the volume. The exactly. volume you get in a pillowcase is far superior. <laughs> Economics all of a sudden starts clicking <laughs> yeah. in the head. You're like, I need yeah, the pillowcase exactly. out of the bucket. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Although you gave your age a little bit by saying it was a Lakers jersey because it could have been the Magic jersey, could have been a Cavs jersey, could have been a Heat jersey, could have been a Mavericks jersey, could have been a Celtics jersey. Stop me anytime. Um, this is this is the NBA these days. It could be a third of the league. <laughs> um, yeah, no question about that, Tony. Let's begin with just overall your assessment of last night. And, you know, Rick Carlisle had said this morning when he was talking to Kevin and Andy that he pointed out the Cleveland win was a good one, but Cleveland wasn't necessarily at full strength. Uh, Chicago had gotten off to a slow start as well. But what did we learn, if anything, from last night? Yeah, last night's game was the first time, I, like for a full 48 minutes this season, that a team took the Pacers, like totally out of their pace, right? Uh, the Cavs did it a little bit in the second half, but this the full 48 minutes it felt like the game was played at the bull speed. The slower offensive sets, grind it down, work for a shot, and so for the Pacers, they they couldn't get into you know they had to take the ball out of the net like 36 times, 37 times. They couldn't get into their stuff. They couldn't get across the timeline in two or three seconds like they liked. They couldn't get moving right away. They weren't playing in transition as much because they weren't getting the stops and. You know, for a team that's whole identity or a lot of their identity is play fast, get into stuff early, be random. When there's a team taking you out of that, both because of the way they're scoring and because of the way they're defending, Javon Carter and Alex Caruso's pressure was fantastic. It was hard for them to get what they wanted, and it was the first time we've seen that all season. 
they still found enough buckets to be in it. You know, they, they were ahead in the fourth quarter. They were up eight and third, but I, 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 we hadn't seen that this season where they couldn't play really Pacers basketball for 48 minutes. And I think that was my biggest takeaway is there's kind of a, that blueprint to beat them is there. It's just they've got to find a way to, to speed up when teams are playing them like that. Tony, what do you attribute most to their three-point struggles throughout the night? Uh, that, that, there was a few that I didn't like as much. Like in the first two games, I was impressed that they were having a high volume of attempts that were all good looks, or at least guys that are allowed to take less good looks. You know, Halbert and Heald can take a contested three every now and then. But last night, there were a few that you know were rushed or not the guy you'd want to take an early clock three or maybe like a step too far away, right? In general, I think their volume is one of their strengths. They have a good shooting team, and they have guys who can create open threes for their teammates. They take 46, and they're all good most nights. I think they'll be happy with that. But, you know, Andrew Emhart had a few deep ones that didn't feel like the right shot at the time. There were a couple out of the corners that didn't feel like the right shooter at the time, right? I don't think they're going to be too mad about their attempts. I asked a couple guys about that after the game. They said, ah, you know, mostly good, but we could search for a couple better shots. I think that just a little bit of reassessment, maybe last night would have been like a 40 or 38 attempt game that would have been a little happier with their shots. I want you to pretend for a second, Tony, that tonight you're out trick-or-treating and you run into a witch that has a crystal ball, okay? And then you realize that crystal ball is real and you can see into the future with it. (laughs) So you look into the future to about early March and you're watching a Pacers game and you notice there's one player who's heavily in the rotation right now that for whatever reason is not in March and they've kind of fallen, not out of favor, but just fallen into a more... Uh, of an auxiliary role as opposed to a starting role? That would be who? Uh, so you're saying someone whose role is smaller now than the now the crystal ball has revealed? Correct. I would, yeah, I would, like, just given the minutes he's played in the lineups, he's played with my answer would be Obi Toppin. Correct. Start- I would agree with that. Yeah, he's starting, and I think he should be playing with Halliburton basically all of his minutes, which is smart. Like, when the team's playing fast and Halliburton can throw his wizard passes, like, that's what Toppin's at his best. But a lot of the times when they've needed to make an adjustment mid-game, it's either that they need more shooting or more defense. And Toppin's okay at shooting, but they can get more of those skills from other players at that spot. And that's why we've seen a lot of Aaron Neesmith in these games. And when they go small and Neesmith at the four, that means that we're also getting more Andrew Nemhard in these games. So I think Toppin was at 23 minutes last night. That seems about right to me, but it feels like if, if Neesmith continues to be this, at this level of score as well, given the defense he provides, it feels like there's minutes for him to take, and so he could be the guy that, that takes them. Obviously, Jarris Walker's on the team. You know, who knows if he'll sneak into the rotation at some point this season. But I would say given the way these first three games have gone, not that Toppin's done anything wrong. He was great on the glass against the Bulls, but he seems like the guy that that could happen to. It feels to me like Toppin, you know, as a starter, they're giving him – he's getting plenty of opportunity – to show what he can do. And I'm not saying he's not a good player, but if there's an opportunity to take minutes away from, say, an Isaiah Jackson who's who's fallen down the roster here, I just think that Toppin, at this point, Tony, hasn't necessarily firmly grasped and shown why he merits being in the starting lineup. And that's not to say he can't. I mean, it's only three games. But I've kind of expected to see more out of him. But am I being too critical? No, I mean, the thing I said when I was talking to somebody about this last night was like, they've had two games in a row, like I said, where the other team took them out of their style. And the reason that's relevant to Toppin is because 
his his big appeal with the Pacers was that he could play fast, right, and be in the open floor with this team. Well, they haven't been able to get into those moments, right? So he's kind of had to settle into not quite a half-court-only team, but a little slower pace, and he's he's figuring out where his shots will come in the half-court with a new team, and that's not where he's as strong. I guess in a practice today, you think you figured out where your shots are going to come from with this team, right? Because I think last night he took seven or eight, and five of them were threes, right? So when you think of him, you think of this – athletic play finisher, but he's taking corner threes, and he made two of them. That's fine. If you can make 40% of your threes, you should do that every game. I don't think that's a problem, but it's definitely different than kind of the expectation when they acquired him in terms of their speed and where his shots would come from, and I think that might be an adjustment for him at first. Like you said, it's only been three games, but if they can't play as fast as they want all the time or he's resigned to more of a three-point shooting role, which, again, he's making them to his credit, but that's, that's not what he was thought to be, so maybe that could change what his role is. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tony East of Sports Illustrated and Locked On Pacers joins us. Tony, it felt like last night Chicago made a point of emphasis, particularly in the fourth, to take the ball out of Tyrese Halliburton's hands and make somebody else try to run the offense. And it felt like last night Bruce Brown was often that go-to guy, especially in the fourth quarter. Is that what you anticipate happening if teams decide to try to take Tyrese away from leading the offense? Or is there somebody else like an Andrew Nemhard that as the season unfolds, maybe he's the guy that's handling the offense if they're trying to face guard Tyrese. Yeah, I think the Bulls, you know, that with Javon Carter and Alex Caruso are very well equipped to be a team that actually gets the ball out of Halliburton's hands. Those guys are awesome at ball pressure. They're picking up pretty pretty close to full court last night at times. Like that's hard for the Pacers. And I think Bruce Brown like can be that secondary creator a lot of times. He was for Denver a lot last year. He was for the Pacers against the Cavs. Like he had a couple nice assist games in the preseason. Last night, I thought he made a lot of good passes that didn't actually lead to makes. The trouble is, Andrew Nemhard usually would be a good option for that as well. They love Andrew Nemhard. He played like 15 straight minutes in the first half, but he was really poor over in the fourth quarter against the Bulls last night. It really changed the game that he had a couple rough turnovers and couldn't quite get to his spots as well as we've seen him do in the first two games. So then it came out a little earlier than normal. They couldn't turn to him to be that secondary guy. So they tried Bruce Brown, and he, he was, again, fine at it, but it wasn't going as well as they would have hoped, like, Buddy Heald's quietly had some nice passing games to open the season. You know, he's on the weak side more just given how this team is built now. And he just gets into these quick pick and rolls with Jalen Smith and Miles Turner. He's made some nice passes. He's done well in that way too. But, you know, I think kind of will evolve and, and depending on what the matchup calls for, they couldn't turn to the guy they liked to and Nemhard last night given how his fourth quarter started. And they didn't get quite enough from Bruce Brown down the stretch. So I think they got okay looks. They just – we're playing their game. The Bulls slow them down too much. You know, one of the things to me that's interesting, Tony, in watching the Pacers, and I try to watch, I think I've mentioned this before. Tony East is our guest, by the way, here on the program. I I watch when guys come off the floor, and I see how they are responded to or or greeted when they come off the floor. And you can see with other teams, a lot of times, guys walk off and like nobody says a word to them. With the Pacers, there does seem to be a camaraderie that I don't know that has always been the case here. This group genuinely, all the way down the line, appears to genuinely like one another. But 
does that teeter on can that be compromised at any time i guess based on rotations yeah that is one of their unique skills right last year like O'Shea Brissett would toggle between 20-minute games and zero-minute games, and either way, he was a great bench guy, rah-rah, helping out his teammates, being happy. T.J. McConnell is great at that, right? Like, part of what makes them good at that is they've had good guys to do it, and, like, if you're a young player who's not playing and T.J. McConnell's being a good bench guy, you've got to be a good bench guy, right? You can't not do what he does. So I think they are uniquely equipped just from the vets that they've had in the last couple years, James Johnson last year as well to be that kind of team. The other part of it is you got to be winning, right? Like if you're not winning and you're not playing, it's a lot harder to, to be in a good mood. You'll want to play. You'll want to try to help. You'll want to contribute. And so that's part of it. And they've played fine and pretty good to open the season, right? Like it's not going to be a thing. But, yeah, as the season progresses, right, and there's injuries, right, we just learned a few today that could be a problem for Boston, right? Guys will get to play. We'll see how that kind of transforms things because it can be if, if minutes are a lingering issue for a guy who doesn't play for a long time or – if losses start to pile up, it can t- totally change the tenor of how those bench moments go. Right? I think with the, the Nate Bjorkren team just had the worst bench vibes ever, right? And I, it's been such a big change from that team. So they certainly currently have a tight locker room and tight bench moments, but that, that can change pretty quickly depending on results. Tony, what do you think is the top thing we could learn about this Pacers team in Boston on Wednesday? Oh, gosh. Um I, w- I would have said how they defend that team would have been very telling, right? They have a lot of big wings that is the exact type of player the Pacers have struggled with forever, basically, uh, including against the Bulls early with DeRozan getting to the line whenever he wanted, with Levine getting to the line quite often. But if they're without Matherin, uh, who knows? He, he was seeing a doctor about his elbow today. Uh, that could change how how they defend and what, what we can actually learn about the Pacers because – that would have been telling. Who is he on? How does he do? Right, he had some good moments defending DeRozan on Monday, but he was in foul. He had foul issues that that limited his minutes. So that was one thing I was looking forward to is who he guarded and how that went. He's, his defense has been mostly solid to me this season. Uh, but the other thing too is they're kind of the perfect test for the Pacers kind of roster build, right? Celtics have an awesome top six, probably the best top six in the league. But their depth is really weak, and the Pacers have awesome depth. That's been one of their strengths through these early games as their bench comes in, defends really well, wins the minutes, right? Against Boston, that could have been a nice kind of rubber band kind of game where it pushes and pulls and there's runs of various degrees. Well, if they, are limited, if they lose some of their depth in that game, that also kind of goes away. So those are things that could be available to the Pacers. We'll see if Matherin plays. We'll see how much depth they have. Um, I still think they have enough depth to have a better bench, even if they're missing guys. Um, I think those are the keys that, that we'll find out against far and away as our best opponent tomorrow. Again, Tony East, our guest, SI Pacers, Forbes Sports, WTHR, Locked On Pacers as well, at Tony R. East is where you can find him on Twitter, X, whichever way you want to call it. Tony, let's go back to that Benedict Matherin injury you're talking about uh, of the elbow. Severity is what? I guess they're still finding that out, and this has been lingering yeah. since when? Uh, it happened apparently in this Bulls game or at least it, it got maybe more intense in that game. I thought I saw him at one point kind of favoring. Was, uh, like, did, did you notice he was kind of like – at one point I noticed in the game, I thought it was a hand injury. I guess now it makes sense because he was kind of like flexing his hand. Like he couldn't figure out where there was pain. It was like midway through the second half, I think. But I didn't realize it might have been last night. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. It, well, it was tough for me. I think I know what you're talking about because he also had like – slammed into the stanchion at 100 miles per hour and then got drilled on the next play. Like There were like 30 moments where he could have gotten banged up in that game. Um, but he like he made all his free throws last night. He got to the line a bunch. Like he, His play style didn't really reflect the guy with 
dealing with some elbow pain. Apparently it happened the first half of uh, that Bulls game, so he did not practice today because he was meeting with the doctor. And then Tyrese Halliburton, uh, again, I didn't see this happen either, but apparently landed on Jalen Smith's foot um, during this Bulls game and is also a maybe for this boxing game. Like Kyle Al said, Matt guys will likely be listed as questionable at best. We'll see where they are tomorrow. So both the key guys, key young guys that could be out, we'll see where that shakes out. But neither of them practiced today. Tony, what do you make of the in-season tournament and it getting started on Friday? Are you excited about the NBA Cup? Do you care? Do you, do you think understand the court design's it? cool? Yeah, do you understand it? That's the key one, I guess. <laughs> I do understand it because I'm a dork and I immediately tried to make sure. I, I actually like jotted down on like a notepad, like all the groups, so I could like see the draw the format myself. So I get the format. Um, I like the idea, right? Like in general, if there's just more competitive basketball games, I will enjoy that. And so even if the regular season games are exactly the same, there is a title game, so there's going to be one extra competitive NBA game. Like, to me, that's cool. That's good. And it will feel gimmicky at first, no doubt. Like, people keep pushing back on that. I'm like, no, it's going to feel weird. It's inorganic right now. But in 10, 15 years, whatever, it'll be a normal thing, right? Once every player in the league has only been in an NBA where there's an in-season tournament, right? Jarris Walker's never played in the NBA where there isn't an in-season tournament, right? Once that's true of every player, I think it'll feel a lot more real to everyone. But for now, I, I like the idea. I don't like uh, the bright court. <laughs> it's going to be really weird. I think uh, every team's doing it for their home games for it, just so the crowd knows what the game is about, that it's it got this added importance. I think there could have been some more subtle ways to do that than a cerulean and yellow court. But in general, I like the, uh, I like the tournament. I think if they're trying to not make it gimmicky, though, the bright blue court might, have been, might, might not have been the move. You know, I, I guess the question I have, Tony, is do you think that it's possible this entire tournament over the course of the year takes place and people are still confused by it? And I'm not trying to be – I mean, oh, yeah. flippancy aside, I'm just saying, you know, the, the passerby audience, is there? Is it possible they're going to be like, wait, what is going on here? Or, or that they don't even aren't even aware that it's a quote-unquote tournament game? Yeah, the, the court makes it impossible to not know if you're actually watching the game, but I do think that it could be tr- – like – I think they actually did something smart by making it only three group stage games because that makes them all really important. So it's like kind of, it'll be pretty obvious after like two group stage games, knowing like who's going to the playoff bracket or what you're playing for, which will make it easy to like tell people. But yeah, that could make it. I think the confusing part will be specifically like the fourth game and fifth game of it when it's like, this is not the group stage anymore. This is the quarterfinals of a tournament, but it's also a regular season game in our arena, right? Like, That'll be hard. That'll be where it's kind of hard to explain that it actually has like knockout implications of a tournament bracket. But once it's in Vegas or the group stage games with with the bright courts, I think that will be mostly easy to figure out. It's just the format can be, especially if you have no idea what's going on, right? It's hard to like catch up to that on the fly. If somebody is trick or treating at your house tonight, they're getting what kind of candy? Uh, I I'll pronounce it like you and say Reese's peanut butter cups, not Eddie's Reese's. Um, that will be there. We've got some little Snickers going on. We're, we're a chocolate giving house. What is the hate? What's wrong with the way I say no, that? No, I think it's the fact that everybody says it your way, and apparently the Reese's folks are upset about it. Oh, so you're upset is with it, it, Tony? Everybody says Reese's, right? I mean, everybody. Yes. But I, I th- say but, Reese's, but the, the, the little M&M size ones, Reese's Pieces is is an word it's pieces right so i know well, reese's is right the, but i still say it wrong there, somewhere there's a really po'd mr reese because he like had a marketing campaign where he's like i'm tired of people saying my name wrong it's reese's oh tony quick question have you seen shawshank redemption i have yes okay yeah. tony's a 
a living American. Yes. <laughs> he's not, I mean, he's not a he's not a communist. Okay. I'm not even a movie guy, and I've seen Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Tony Tony's had TNT at some point and turned over to a game and been like, "Why is this guy in prison? And what's going on in the shower?" Yeah, he, he's aware. Tony, appreciate it. Thanks. Of course, thanks for having me, guys. All right, Tony East again on the hotline. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Tom Allen's favorite song, by the way. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I always kind of liked the Munsters, too, which was, I thought the Munsters had a great theme song. I would agree with you. Yesterday, JMV was talking about Kevin McHale, and I said it reminds me of Fred Gwynn, better known as Herman Munster. Uh, joining us on the program, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based on that intro, you read him at ESPN.com, and Stephen Holder, I'll begin right to this point. Uh, trade deadline is today. Do you anticipate that you are going to be actively writing about anything in the next couple of hours? I don't expect it. Um, I can't rule anything out, but I'm um, certainly not expecting anything. I think the, the Colts are kind of in this weird spot. That's that's the issue. Like, you you generally, at the trade deadline, have one of two motivations. You're, you're buying or you're selling. I don't see that they have motivation to do either. <laughs> and, and so just in, from a general perspective, right? So if you're the Colts, uh, selling – I, I think suggests that maybe you don't think that this season is going anywhere, but it also suggests that you're kind of rebuilding. And I don't think that's the case. I think that it's kind of on hold. The quarterback's out. They're going to try to pick this thing up next year. Uh, and then if you're, if you're buying, it, it suggests that maybe you're trying to make a run. And I don't think they're trying to do that. I mean, they'd love to, but I just don't think that's where they are. So I, they're in this weird no man's land. And I guess that's why watching the Colts right now is kind of an awkward experience because what are the Colts and where are the Colts? It's kind of a hard thing to, to kind of ascertain, I guess. So we just saw the news that Minnesota has selected their quarterback, making a move with Arizona with Kirk yeah. Cousins out. Do you believe, and, and I shouldn't say do you believe, that would, do you think there's a chance that they had called about Gardner Minshew? Mm, I mean, a chance, maybe, maybe a chance. Um, I, I don't think they would have had the Colts, they, they being the Colts, I don't think they would have had much motivation to do that deal. Uh, they, they're they still competitive. Look, the last three games have been killers, but they're still competitive. Minshew still gives you, I think, the best chance to win. And they do have a manageable schedule on the back half. So anything's possible, you know? So I, I think that would be pulling the plug if you did that. And I get it that the Sam Ellinger's interesting and that uh, Shane Steichen is, is a good coach and maybe he can, you know, make something happen there. But I think you definitely have a more known quantity with Gardner Minshew. So anyway, that, that wasn't your question maybe, but I, I just think that, that's my rationale for why I wouldn't move him. 
Give me the three players, Stephen, that you think. Let's just say, for example, that Chris Ballard woke up this morning and thought, you know what? It's Halloween. I'm willing to give out candy. So I'm going to let all the general managers know. Come make an offer. Everybody's up for grabs, not named Anthony Richardson. Who are the three players that actually would have the most interest or value around the league? Uh, well, I mean, the most value, I, I think you got to start, for me, I, I think you start with DeForest Buckner. Now, I'm trying to remember if it, I think he's got one more year on his contract, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I mean, so that would actually be a good thing because the, the number that he's at currently is actually kind of manageable for, for the production you're getting for that player. So he would have he would have value around the NFL. There's no doubt about that. Um, he'd be one. Uh, let's see. Uh, beyond that, you know who's interesting is Zach Moss. Now they're not trading Zach Moss, but I'm but I I think he's interesting in that. I think he got, would get he would covet more now than he did when the Colts got him. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think he has opened some eyes. I mean, he, he definitely has good timing because his contract's up this year. And while I don't think he's going to go out there and break the bank, uh, you know, he's, there, there is a difference clearly between Zach Moss and a player like Jonathan Taylor just from a, an ability perspective. I mean, but, but Zach Moss, I will say, Zach Moss has maximized his opportunity here. And i got to give him a lot of credit for that. So he'd be an interesting one to think about, you know, just – I think if you're a team that maybe is a little a little light at running back and, and maybe you need a guy to help you move the chains, uh, help out a quarterback, he'd be perfect for that kind of thing. So he would be one. And uh, now, again, this is since we're talking clearly hypothetical here, you know what would, would be interesting? I wonder what Michael Pittman's value would be around the NFL. I have no idea. I haven't even thought about this. And neither have the Colts because they're not trading him. But I'm just wondering, you know, like if, you, if you're just talking about purely hypothetical, uh, just spitballing, what is the value of a young, uh, talented receiver on, on the final year of his deal? I mean, if he, if he went somewhere and was paired with a, a proven number one receiver, I think he would have – just a, a great situation there. So I, I don't know where that would be, and I don't know what that would cost, but it would be interesting. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com joins us. Stephen, of key pieces that are on a contract year. <laughs> I can't take you seriously that mask. <laughs> Sorry. I'm Spider-Man today, Stephen, in case you have not uh, joined oh, the YouTube is, chat. This is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so of players that are significant contributors to the Colts that are on contract years, Michael Pittman Jr., Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman. Would any of them get traded today? I feel like the answer is probably no, but would any of them get traded today? And if not, are they all Colts in 2024? Well, that's definitely a harder question, the second part. Um, I would say I would say probably not to the first question uh, in terms of getting traded today. You know, the one guy, if they were in a different situation, uh, personnel-wise, and I'm talking about that cornerback, if they actually have, like, legitimate NFL-caliber cornerbacks, <laughs> maybe trading Kenny Moore would be an option. Uh, they do not have a, a plethora of NFL-caliber corners right now available, so that won't happen, I presume. So 
But I, I do think, you know, when you think about uh, Kenny Moore and his his past value to this team, it, it was higher in the former defensive system uh, with Matt Eberflus. I, I think there's no question about that. Now, I do think they have figured out this year how to get a little more out of him and have done a better job. I think he's having a really good season. I think he has turned back the clock a little bit and looks like the guy who who we thought he was. So that's all good. Uh, I'm talking about Kenny Moore specifically. So anyway, moving forward, tell me your list again. You said Kenny Moore. Uh, did you say Julian Blackman? I forget. Yeah, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman, Grover Stewart, Michael Pittman Jr. Gotcha. Uh, in terms of next year, that's, that's interesting. Because you'll probably uh, tag one, right? You'd think? Uh, I mean, they have the option. Now, what I'd say about the tag is they don't have a history of using right, it. So that, right. that is interesting. But they also have been very purposeful when it comes to resigning their players and haven't really played that game. They they just did it, you know. So I, I think this year they have a lot of guys up at once. Now, they're not you know getting Quentin Nelson-level money. That's different, maybe, except the, the exception being possibly Michael Pittman. But the other guys probably not. So maybe that you know takes the 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 seriousness of the situation down a notch, but but it definitely is a lot to manage. I think uh, they they will have a lot of cut, a lot of cap space. So there's that. Anyway, so as to not ramble, I, I think the guy that's interesting there is is Julian Blackman because they have Nick Cross, and you know that they could treat that the way they've treated linebacker, which is you know guys come up and, and get you know eligible for a contract, and then they just kind of backfill them with the next guy. And the Colts have done that at linebacker like three or four times already <laughs> over the last seven or eight years, and, and it hasn't been the wrong decision. You know, Anthony Walker, you know, he becomes eligible to leave. He, he gets a free agent contract and leaves, and they backfill him. Uh, last year, Okereke, same thing. He gets $40 million from the Giants. Colts say, all right, good for you, you know, good for you. And they backfill him with EJ Speed, you know, as their third linebacker. It's worked out. I don't think they've really missed a beat for the most part. Uh, so maybe they have a little bit of a situation like that. Uh, Kenny's a tough one, man. I I do think that he kind of gets labeled as a quote unquote nickel corner, and for some teams that has less value than others. But I think he is probably one of the most versatile guys at that position and and can also play outside too. I think he has a lot of value personally. I, I think Kenny Moore is going to be an interesting decision for the Colts. I, I don't know. I think it, I think there's good odds of him coming back, but but I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know. It, it only takes one team. You know, if they want to overpay, uh, he might go. Steven, let's say, you know, I thought that the – and I've said this before – in the last couple of days, I, I thought the New Orleans game was kind of a boulder in the stream for the Colts. I know their schedule is still pretty favorable, but it feels like now, you know, the reality is there that a wild card or even, the, you know, they got to win the division probably to get in the playoffs in the AFC. And, and it's just not going to happen, most likely, right? So, so as they move forward here in this season, what are the areas that are most under analysis? What are the things, as Chris Ballard is looking at building a franchise around Anthony Richardson, he is most closely scrutinizing what over the next month? Okay, good question. I actually think 
Now, most people would immediately think offense, right? Like, like wide receiver. I actually think, I still think they need to add to that, and they will. I guess. I think. I hope. <laughs> but, but I actually think the arrow is up there. I mean, they need more. But the guys that they do have, I'm actually okay with them. Uh, I like Michael Pittman. I, I like Alec Pierce. Josh Downs. I mean, what is not to like? I, I think the arrow is up on those guys. You know, there's only one football, whatever. They're also playing with a backup quarterback, right? So, whatever. For me, I look at defense. Even though that's probably not the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about building around uh, Anthony Richardson. But, you know, I, I, thought, I, I thought the defense was going to take a bigger step this year. I was actually pretty high on the Colts' defense to at least be um, above average and I don't know that they are. In fact, they're below average in, in a lot of metrics right now. And that's kind of disappointing. There have been some losses from a personnel perspective, clearly, right? They have had some injuries in the secondary. Grover Stewart's out. I get all that. Uh, but, you know, they got to get to the quarterback. They have still shown an inability to do that uh, on a regular basis. And, and that, look, you win two ways. You just talked about Anthony Richardson and building around him. You win in the NFL, at least the teams that are, are consistently competitive. You win by having great quarterback play and by beating other quarterbacks with your defense and going and getting those quarterbacks, you know. And so, you know, they've got one of those. They think they have their quarterback. But can they go out there and make life hell on other quarterbacks? And the answer is not really. I, I mean, look at Derek Carr on Sunday. For all the talk about Tony Brown, and look, let's be honest, Tony Brown shouldn't have been out there, okay? I have a bigger problem, I would argue, with Derek Carr being able to make a sandwich in the pocket and take his that's time. A, and, that's and, a sandwich made of toast, by the way, courtesy of Tony Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that was a layup, right? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, come on, man. Like, we, we talk about Derek Carr like he's some kind of joke, but like you give Derek Carr a wide open, or excuse me, a, a clean pocket and a wide open receiver, you're going to lose, man. <laughs> you're going to lose. So that's what happened. And I, I just think defensively, they, they can't keep having to chase their tail every week and outscore opponents. I mean, that's just not the way to go. Stephen Holder of ESPN joins us. Stephen, this kind of builds off that last question, but a lot of times general managers will make a move at the deadline that might not be for the now, but it is for their development process of the entire roster, maybe years down the line. The Bears kind of did that today with the Commanders, where you would think that Montez Sweat is a piece they're going to want to build around, and they give up a 2024 second-round pick to do it. Is there any avenue for the Colts at any position where maybe that's a look Chris Bauer gives? That's not... Out of the question, I guess. Um, I, I actually think that that would actually be the right mindset to a degree. Now, I would, I will preface this by saying I did question the Bears' move there, only because Montez Sweat is is in a contract year, and <laughs> you're going to have to pay him big money. I presume they have already talked about that. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? So <laughs> I, I presume they're going to re-sign him. But as was pointed out by others on social media, uh, you're giving up that, that high second-round pick, most likely. Okay, that's going to be a valuable second-round pick. And you honestly, you, you might have been able to go sign him in for agency because are they going to re-sign Chase Young and Montez Sweat? 
So you've given up a high, uh, a, a very high second round pick to go get him, and then now also going to have to pay him, and then you don't have that that second round pick that you could use to you know continue to build around whatever quarterback you end up having. I, I think this you're year. doing that to jump the line, right? Like yeah, you're trying I to guess. jump That's free fair. agency to. have the negotiations. I assume, like you mentioned, they already did that, but I think that's a move general managers would make to jump the line and not worry about the chaos of free agency. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And and it's it's an okay strategy. It's not a terrible strategy. It's just, you know, I I think it depends on your perspective, right? I mean, some people are okay with it. I think they have the draft capital, and so it's kind of like, you know, when you're in the casino and you you took out too much money out of the ATM, you just say, ah, let's just go for it, <laughs> which is a terrible strategy. But at that point, you've already taken the money out, right? Anyway, let's make this about the Colts. Um, I, I could, I wouldn't necessarily hate that strategy in it in theory for the Colts because I do think they should be a, in a forward-looking mode. Um, I don't know who that is and, and what position they would target necessarily, but but I do think they have some some weaknesses that they have to think about. You know, we just talked about defense. I mean, you know, I can see like if, if if the Colts made that move, for example, for Montez Sweat, I don't think they have necessarily the the draft capital to pull off something like that. But if they were to make a move like that, you know. I could see it. I think the Bears are much further away is my question, right? What, where are they going ultimately like in 2024? Yeah, the Bears stink. I'm just using them as an example yeah. because they're the no, ones no, that made I, the move, right? Fine. Yeah. That's fine. I'm, I'm saying I'm giving you why that move would make more sense sure. for Indy. Right. You know, a move like that. I actually think, I mean, look, there's a scenario where the Colts make a bigger jump and make a, a sizable jump in 2024. You know, I don't see that for the Bears, but I do think that's possible here. So so that's why what you lay out is not a terrible, you know, theory or strategy. Um, it just depends on, on who's out there, who's for sale, and, and what's going to cost, obviously. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. By the way, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I only mention this because they're in the division with the Colts. The Jaguars are making a trade. The Vikings are sending Ezra Cleveland. Uh, there was another guy that they thought was better than Ezra, but Ezra Cleveland is on his way now to Jacksonville. Is this another sign, Stephen, that the Jaguars are saying, you know what, the time in the windows now, let's push in? Oh, I, I think that's that's probably true. I mean, number one, I think they coming into this year, my whole my whole perspective on the Jaguars was, eh, show me, don't tell me. I, well, I think they're kind of showing us. You know, like they have, they have come out of this um, intact. I mean, they had a couple losses early that we wondered about. You know, what did that say about them? But I mean, they're they're right where they need to be, and I think it also tells you. I mean, look at the standings around the entire NFL. I mean, right now, San Francisco is trying to get its act together. You know, right now, uh, teams like the Dolphins kind of have a chink in their armor. You know, just given a couple of losses they've had. Um, you know. The Bills have three losses. I mean, who's even good? 
<laughs> you know? So if you're in Jacksonville, my model would be, why not us? Why not us, right? Why not Indiana? Why not Indiana is my theme for everything, Stephen. I'm actually trademarking it. Don't think about stealing it. Um, This is a beautiful slogan, right? The Pacers could use it, right? Like, talking about the NBA playoffs, why not Indiana? Now, for the Colts, it's harder because it's Indianapolis, not Indiana. But the Colts could use that, too. Uh, the, The city itself. You're thinking about moving a business. You're thinking about moving to a new place. You want you want it's great a family value. Pitch. Why, yeah. why not Indiana? Right. It could be like a, a chamber of commerce pitch. <laughs> why not Indiana? Right. See, you're on board, right? I, yeah, I, Steven, I mean, it depends on what your options are, right? And then that would be the. Well, answer. once my trademark goes through, I'm going to print T-shirts. Can I get you to wear one of them on ESPN? Little little uh, you know little pale a plug sure. here. I mean, look, look, Pat McAfee today on ESPN is wearing a Halloween costume. Do you know what that Halloween costume is? It's Lolita the Whale. He's doing that for Jim, right? I mean, may she rest in peace. (laughs) You know, it was a very sad moment. But look, man, I mean, if he can do that on ESPN, why can't I wear that T-shirt? right. And people would say to themselves, I need a Why Not Indiana T-shirt. I'm curious about this, Stephen, (laughs) with the trade deadline. And and I don't know. I mean, I'm genuinely asking this. Mm Mm-hmm. Five years ago, ten years ago, like the NBA trade li- trade deadline has always been a thing. The MLB trade deadline has always kind of been a thing. The NFL trade deadline, I, I don't know that most people even knew when it was. And in the last couple of years, it's become like all the buzz. Is that because there is like philosophical differences about the value of it within the NFL? Or is that more so because in the social media PR era, it's another example of the NFL being smart and keeping itself in the news cycle? Uh, yeah, I actually think it's a lot of that latter point that you made. There's no doubt about it. We are more hyper aware of it. And I mean, honestly, like the Montez sweat trade is a big deal. But a lot of the deals that happen, they're not going to matter. Okay, let's be clear. They're really not going to matter. Uh, but, you know, we, we do we overhype them? Yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and really, with any trade deadline in any sport, it really is a matter of the the anticipation is what it's about more than what actually happens. Although I would say there have been some deals at the deadline that have mattered. I mean, the Christian McCaffrey trade is a great example of a, of a trade deadline deal that 100% mattered like a lot. Now, you know, the Montez sweat trade is not going to matter, you know, come January, you know, but, but there could be a deal that happens you know, where it does matter. I mean, the Josh Dobbs trade. Josh Dobbs didn't like that. No, he did not. I guess we'll try Steven back. Maybe it was Halloween antics. Ooh, that's a good point. Somebody hacking in, right? Exactly. Maybe the call came from inside the house. Exactly. Inside the studio. What's your scariest Halloween movie, Jimmy? Oh... Or, Or scary movie. I mean, it doesn't have to be Halloween themed. I always, and my, my brother reminded me about this film, The Ring, probably, up there. Yeah, okay. I love, did you ever see Hostel? Uh-uh. Did you ever see Saw? Yes. I thought the original Saw was really good. Yeah. And then it was weird afterwards because you had to say, I saw Saw, and then people were like, what? I really like Cloverfield. I don't know if you yeah, know that's that good. is. Really well done, for sure. Uh, Steven joins us back. Steven, as you were, sorry about that. Yeah, I didn't even realize uh, that I had uh, been disconnected because, I, I mean, I was on a rant, man. Well, continue um, the rant. 
Yeah, I don't know where where I left off, but Josh Dobbs, um, and then you went away. That's all we heard. Ah, okay. Yeah, so like that's a that's a trade that could matter potentially in the long term. Uh, you know, when I, when I say long term, I mean like January. You know, just depending on how the, the Vikings pan out. Uh, I, I would say this too. Um, you know, in the NBA, you trade a superstar at the trade deadline, and and you have him for I don't know the four, the final like thirty games or whatever it is. Uh, that has a chance to really shift the 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 power in a conference or or a division or what have you. You know, so uh, a single player in the NFL. I'm sorry, in the NBA at the trade deadline can make a huge difference. It's very rare that that happens in the NFL. So that's why I, I think the, the, the NBA and, and obviously baseball trades you know, will always have a bigger impact just because that, that single player can just have a, a, a much bigger uh, effect on the rest of that team season than the NFL, in my view. And the date, the deadline is what time exactly? Is it four o'clock? Uh, four p.m. Eastern. Yeah, four p.m. So in the next ninety-seven minutes, we'll see whether or not the Colts are players in any way, shape, or form. And again, I think probably some of that comes down to if a player on an expiring deal. Uh, to, to circle back for those that are just joining us, Stephen, it would seem as though if there was a move that was going to be made for the Colts, it would likely be not that they're actively going out and trying to get somebody but rather maybe that somebody wants to pluck away one of their players that's on an expiring deal and the Colts go ahead and get what they can for that player would you agree with that sentiment I think possibly yeah I mean or I think the other likely scenario would be a very competitive team that has a blind spot that they need to address and and whether that guy gets re-signed or not, you know, is, is maybe not as urgent for them. It might be about this year. That's what I think. And and it would have to be a guy the Colts could afford to lose in the long term, and and someone you know they feel good moving forward without and being competitive without in 2024. That would you know to kind of add a little context to what you're saying. Lastly, are you be? I know you grew up in Miami, and I would assume are the are the Heat your NBA team? I mean, I pay attention to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say I have like a, you know, a diehard team, but I, yeah, I, look, I root, I rooted for them last year in the uh, in the finals, as futile as that was. Are you becoming a Pacer fan? Can we get you to become a Pacer fan? No, I, I actually, yeah, I, that's the other team I care about. I mean, I, I actually do follow the Pacers. Um, I've got to get myself set up to actually watch the Pacers on TV. Well, uh, apparently that app issue. had some issues last night. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't signed up. I didn't do that. But uh, yes, having gone to a fair number of games, some of them even with you, uh, the last couple of years, yeah, I'm I'm into the Pacers, and I actually think this is a, a team this year that could be really fun. It does seem to be the case so far. So yeah, I, I would say definitely. Definitely a Pacer fan, for sure. I follow them and I root for them. I agree. They are pretty fun to watch, and we'll see where things go from here. But, Stephen, I know it's a busy day. We'll let you get back to it to see if anything happens here between now and 4 o'clock. But appreciate the time. As always, look forward to talking to you again. All right, guys. See you soon. All right. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, 
jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Uh, rolling along on what has actually turned out to be a pretty sun-splashed and pretty-looking Tuesday, NFL trade deadline day. Pacers last night, short end against Chicago Bulls. Talking about that and more, joining us on the program Bob Kravitz, our friend, of course, longtime writer here in Indianapolis. And Bob, as I always do before we get to anything else, let our listeners know how they can continue to read the weekly and, for that matter, almost daily columns of Bob Kravitz, including dopey report cards. Yes, uh, just go to bobkravitz.substack.com. You'll make me very happy. Okay, and you will be happy because you will be able to read about everything going on in Central Indiana and the world of sports. And in that capacity, Bob, I will give you, not dealer's choice, but recipient's choice, let you choose. Colts, Pacers, which way you want to start? Let's start with the Colts. Okay. Uh, first off, your thoughts just not only in that New Orleans game, because maybe we kind of turned the page on that, but um, but moving forward from it, I felt like that was going to be a boulder in the stream game for one of those two teams, and that one might take one fork in the road and the other, that that kind of changes maybe their complexion of how they look at the rest of the year. New Orleans needed to win. The Colts get the loss. What does that do, if anything, to the way the Colts approach the rest of the season? Well, I, I think specifically with the, with the trade deadline, I think it, if they do anything, they would be they would be sellers rather than buyers. Uh, I don't think this. Uh, look, I don't. I predicted them to win three games this year, so I, I didn't think they're going to be any good. But you look at the schedule; uh, they've got you know at Carolina, and then they go to Germany to play New England. They could very easily be five and five after ten games, and, and then they're kind of back in the you know they're 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 back in the race a little bit. Now I think you know I don't think they have any chance, honestly, but. Um, I, I don't. I don't think they'll be significant sellers at the at the trade deadline. If they do anything, it'll be something small, like like the Naheem Hines trade uh, one year ago. When you look at Bob, the, we'll start with the defensive backfield. I, I go back and forth on this. Part of me thinks that Chris Ballard basically didn't address this and therefore they're in a situation of kind of crisis at, at defensive back. Then the other side of me thinks he actually did though, Jake, he drafted a guy. He, he, you know, he got Juju Brents is going to be a good young player, but he's hurt. And that this is just such as just a situation of timing and injuries going against them. Which way do you see it? I think that the moment the Dallas flowers went down and then certainly the moment that Juju Brents went down, they needed, it was incumbent upon Chris Ballard to go get himself a veteran uh, cornerback. Those guys are out there. We saw Marcus Peters uh, last night uh, return a, an interception 75 yards. He was available. Um, so, you know, I thought they started out the season really thin there. I mean, you, you had two UDFAs and two rookies as your top four cornerbacks. Um so that was that was going to be a pressure point from the very beginning, and then when you had the injuries and you had the Isaiah Rogers gambling violation, you were in deep trouble. So I, I place this on on Ballard. You had a guy there, um, well, first first Baker, and and then um, uh, who's the guy who screwed up this week? Uh, oh, 
That'd be uh, Toast Tony Brown. Good Toast, yeah. <laughs> Tony Brown, I mean, this poor guy, yeah, it was his fault, but I, I blame I blame Ballard more than anything. This is a guy who is a special teams ace who uh, never, uh, who rarely played on the outside. For the life of me, I don't understand why at halftime they didn't decide to put Kenny Moore outside and move uh, Nick Cross uh, inside or to you know to safety, whatever. Move move Blackman Blackman in. Um, that made no sense to me. I mean, you got to make adjustments, and clearly, I mean, Tony Brown gave up seven uh, receptions in seven attempts for 185 yards. I mean, you and me could do that. Longtime sports writer Bob Kravitz is our guest. You can find his work on Substack, Musings of an Old Sports Writer. Bob, eight games in, have we learned enough or at least to get a general idea of how things will run offensively under Shane Steichen? Boy, I hope not, because I'd like to see some more uh, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I have been very, very uh, confused by the way they run Jonathan Taylor. It seems like when Taylor gets a hot hand, he's on the bench. And when Zach Moss gets a hot hand, he's still out there because he's got the hot hand. Um, I think this team needs to put the rest of the season on the shoulders of, of, of Jonathan Taylor. When you have Gardner Minshew throwing more than 30 passes a game, that's, that's a problem. Uh, that, that's something you can't, you can't come back from because you know he's going to turn the ball over. Maybe not interceptions, but certainly fumbles. I mean, he started 25 games or so in his career, and he's got like 25 fumbles. So you know that's an issue for him. So I, I just I, I hope they evolve from here, and I hope they evolve in a way that um, that that you know makes Jonathan Taylor more of a bell cow. When you look, Bob, at just I, I want to go back to Gardner Minshew. My concern was this, and, and I want you to feel free to tell me if I'm way off base here. I remember early when Minshew came out, and I thought he played well, and I mean, and he is a serviceable backup. There's no question about yeah, that. But the longer no a guy's a backup, the more he gets exposed a little bit. I felt like. There was about a two to three game window where if he played well and you thought maybe you could flip him for like a fifth rounder, you had to kind of do so then because the longer it went, the more you were going to see why his value would drop to the point where teams would would not be as enticed. And I feel like his turnovers now have hurt yeah. that. Did they miss their window, so to speak? I'm not saying they were looking to yeah. move him, but if they were going to, did they miss their window? Yeah, I, I think that you know teams like the Jets, um, certainly now you've got the Minnesota Vikings who are going to be looking for somebody. I guess Jameis Winston is somebody they're considering. Yeah, I think a couple of weeks ago you could make an easy case for moving him. Now he's all you got. Uh, and, and, again, I just don't think that teams who need a starter are, are necessarily looking at Gardner Minshew as any kind of answer. So, yeah, I do think they, they, they did miss – they didn't miss their chance, but at the same time, it's probably a good thing because you really want to see Sam Ellinger the rest of the year. Bob, where would you rank tight end in the discussion of not necessarily moves for the rest of the year, but moves going forward in terms of pecking order of things that need to be addressed when the offseason finally arrives? Yeah, that's a big one. I, I am so tired of 
tight end by committee, having 12 guys in the room or whatever they got. They got five. None of them. I mean, Kylan Granson shows sparks. You know, you you see you see guys flash every once in a while, but you know when it's like having two quarterbacks. When you've got two, you've got none. When you've got tight end by committee, you ain't got nothing, uh, and you don't have a committee. Uh, you got a bunch of guys who are just okay. So uh, you look at the really good teams. You look at the teams that Steichen has had over the years, and in, in uh, with the Chargers, and then with the Eagles, they had. Terrific tight ends, Goddard uh, in Philly. So that's definitely an area that they need to they need to improve uh, dramatically. Bob, switching to the Pacers, I'm really bullish on them. Pardon the pun because they lost to Chicago last night, but um, I think you know usually it takes 20 games to really figure out who you are. I think they're deep, and I don't think they're deep because they're simply average at each position. I think they've got really good players and then good players to back up those players at, at virtually every spot. And I think Rick Carlisle is going to have a challenge maybe in just figuring out exactly what his rotation is and where it tightens. Um, your expectations for Indiana this year? I think they're going to win, you know, 42 to 44 games, somewhere in there. I think they're a little bit over 500. I think they'll make the playoffs. Or, or if if it's top, if it's not top heavy, I expect it to be top heavy in the East. But there's a chance to play in game situation. But I think they'll make the playoffs. I really like this team. Uh, I wish I could tell you more about last night's game, but unfortunately, I'm one of the stupid saps who bought the Bally app, which did not uh, operate last night. How does that work? Um, I mean, how, how is it possible, Bob, when you're asking your fan base? to pay $20 a month, $20 a month for basically one purpose only, and you screw up that purpose. How is that possible, and do you get a refund? Honestly, I'm not not kidding. I mean, if you're paying for something to get 80 games, shouldn't you get something back? I knew I made a bad decision. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I, on Twitter last night, I was bitching like crazy, and uh, that was one of the things I said is that, you know, do I get do I get a you know maybe a three dollar refund, but it's 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 that's not the the point. The point is you had one job and you didn't do it, and you know I, I changed my schedule so that I could watch the stupid Pacers game, and then it wasn't on. Uh, no, thank God the uh, the World Series was on. But um, anyway, I, I I think I think they're going to be a really good, fun, compelling team. It was a bad loss last night, but you know I, I think they've got a star in Halliburton. I think I think Brown, Bruce Brown, is going to be a really nice addition. I've been really impressed by Jalen Smith so far coming off the bench. Yeah, he's played well. I, I think it's yeah, I think it's going to be a real challenge for for Rick Carlisle because you've got a lot of guys who deserve minutes, and it's going to be a challenge for him to keep everybody happy. Bob, I asked this earlier in the show, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well. My only concern, I think it's a lot of Pacers fans' concerns going into the season, is how would the defense look compared to last year? Should we be worried about a 34-22 to in terms of how the Bulls outscored them in the fourth? Or is it, like Jake mentioned, even though last year's in the back of our mind, two-game sample size, let's see the season progress before we start shouting for the mountaintops? Yeah, I think think you've got to wait and see. I mean – Defense, 
and a new system takes a while. Uh, so I wouldn't get all hot and bothered just yet. Um, certainly I, I was at the Wizards game and the Wizards, I think, had 39 points and 63% shooting in the first quarter. That was not a good sign. But then they, then they tightened it up and played very well the rest of the way. So yeah, I, I think, you know, that and rebounding. Uh, they're, they're not a great rebounding team. They were near the bottom of the league in, in most rebounding categories last year. So I still, I don't know how much that's going to improve, but I certainly think defensively with the new, new way they're doing things, I think they're going to be better over time. But it's going to, it's going to, it's going to take some games, some weeks. More likely to be receiving a paycheck in the state of Indiana one year from right now. T.J. McConnell, Michael Pittman, Tom Allen. Most likely? Yep. Um, oh, I would say Pittman. Okay, I, least I least likely. I, oh, least likely Tom Allen. You think least Tom Allen could be moved at the end of this year, Bob? I do. I, I look. Do you really want a lame duck for one more year so you can save thirteen million dollars? I mean, it's a twenty million dollar buyout now. It's an eight million dollar buyout uh, at the end of next year. If they got the money, just do it. Bite the bullet, rip the Band-Aid off, whatever you want to say. Uh, this team is not good. It hasn't been good in a long time. And, I, look, I like Tom Allen a lot. I think he's he's real. Um, you know, I, there's no artifice about him. That said, uh, this team is not good. I remember when they said a couple of years ago it was their greatest recruiting class ever in the history of Indiana. And they haven't done anything with it. Uh, a lot of guys, a lot of guys left in the portal. It's hard to maintain anything. But yeah, I, I think that Tom Allen, uh, if they got the money, uh, go ahead and rip the bandaid off because you don't want a lame duck coach. It, it makes recruiting next to impossible. And it's funny, Bob, because the narrative is Indiana won't make that move because Indiana doesn't financially commit to football. And I'm like, well, actually, the buyout cost is the reason why right now he might have a chance, and that's because they overcommitted financially to football, quite they frankly. Did. They you know did, what I mean? absolutely. They got, they got too excited by the 8-5 and, and the 6-2. and two. They, paid, they paid him like he was, he was all that, and turns out he's not. Um, you know, the quarterback situation is atrocious. I, I Look, they, they played really well against Penn State, but, you know, you have to think that that's the anomaly. Lastly, Bob, Bob Kravitz is our guest. Um, I, I, I only ask because, you know, I know obviously that you travel a fair amount and that you are Jewish. That, that latter part is somewhat irrelevant to this point. But uh, I'm going on vacation later today. I'm leaving later this afternoon. And on Friday, I'm going to be in the attic where Anne Frank was in Amsterdam. Have, oh, you, have you been there? Wow. I, <clears throat> you know, I think I was there as a kid. Uh, when we were, when I was 13 years old, my father had a business trip uh, in Amsterdam, and I believe I was there. But again, we're talking about right. 50 years ago, so who remembers? That is going to be absolutely fascinating. I remember reading the diary of Anne Frank oh, yeah. a long, long time ago, and and I hear you get in trouble in Amsterdam. Uh, that, that's the <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Here, here's what's funny. Most of what, not not all, but a lot of what 
was the draw for Amsterdam as in terms of its legality. Now you can basically do in the United States. Not all of it, some exactly. of it. Exactly. Um, I'm going with Shannon, so I don't know that all of those things are necessarily going to be an open forum, right? But um, <laughs> you know, when I read when I was in the eighth grade, I read the Diary of Anne Frank in Carla Shadio's English class, and I actually texted her when I bought the plane tickets and said, "You you planted in me a curiosity and." Right. a thirst for an understanding. And so that has been a bucket list item for me my entire life. And so Friday we're going to be there, you know, uh, God willing, we'll be there. And you can only go like 12 people per 30 minutes or whatever. I don't know if that's a COVID thing or also just because obviously it's not a huge area. Um, but right, I am curious right. about it. I am curious about it. Well, that that's going to be absolutely fascinating. I'm telling you, you need to write a book. Well, Jake actually, query chronicles. I'll tell the story and you can ghostwrite it. How's that? Or it can just okay, be one of those good. as told to Bob Kravitz, right? Bob, appreciate there the time as always. All right. My pleasure, guys. Good talking to you.